Praise be Jesus Christ, and welcome to our sixth episode of CarmelCast. I'm Brother Pierre Giorgio of Christ the King. And I'm Brother John Mary of Jesus Crucified. CarmelCast is a production of the Institute of Carmelite Studies Publications. For more information, visit icspublications.org. So in our last episode, we were talking a little bit about uh, sort of difficulties um, in prayer, the you know, distractions and dryness that uh, people, um, everyone really experiences in the course of um, devoting more time to prayer and more time to God. Um, today, uh, I think it would be good to talk a little bit more about um, an aspect of the spiritual life that can help us, um, I guess, as a way of um, yeah, growth in virtue and, and growth in orienting ourselves towards prayer and towards the spiritual life. Um, and that topic would be um, the topic of asceticism. So um, asceticism is a very ancient word. Um, it comes from the Greek word ascesis, which um, really in ancient times referred to the ways in which um, actually athletes would deny themselves certain things, certain um, sort of regular daily pleasures uh, in order to prepare, prepare themselves uh, for athletic competition. And we can see this like even today, um, you know, athletes constantly um, maybe don't eat certain foods before a big competition. Um, and this sort of uh, practice um, kind of came into the spiritual life, in, into sort of Christian spiritual life, um, from a very early time, uh, even Paul uh, talks about this. Uh, in one of his letters, he, he talks about how athletes deny themselves um, many things uh, for the sake of their competition. And so uh, in you know, Christ- the growth in the Christian life that we are called to this as well. Yeah, so within our context then, um, as Christians, uh, asceticism are these spiritual practices that we undertake um, with the grace of God uh, in order to kind of purify our attachments, our desires, to orient ourselves towards God, um, and yeah, to strive for union with Him. Yeah, and if we think about, um, you know, in the context of the four waters, uh, when we were talking about active versus less active towards more passive, um, asceticism is, is, falls into the more active um, parts of prayer. And the, the ways in which uh, we are passively sort of um, detached from things, those are things that God is doing, um, things that are uh, maybe taken away from us that used to give us, um, were very helpful to us or, or maybe, uh, you know, brought us great joy and consolation. Um, those are the things that sort of God takes care of. But in ascetical practices, we're, we're really talking about um, the things that we're endeavoring to do to uh, remove uh, certain worldly things from our life. Yeah, so this is, I mean, a very important topic in our Carmelite tradition in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, there's sort of this uh, romanticism around Carmelite asceticism. Um, you just, I mean, you read so much of, in, in, in both uh, John of the Cross and Teresa of Avila about they just have this, this almost extreme, like absolute asceticism. Um, they speak, I mean, just about this, yeah, this giving yourself completely. I know Teresa of Avila she speaks of the uh, in the way of perfection. She's telling her sisters basically, it's it's so. What if we die? I mean, <laughs> we came here to mortify our bodies, and 
Um, similarly, John of the Cross, you read, he talks about how we have to, you know, deny ourselves all things in order to obtain all things. There's that very famous section from the Ascent to Mount Carmel where he goes through in order to, uh, you know, in order to possess all things, we have to possess nothing. And so it's very just strong language uh, surrounding just, yeah, the goal of, of this life. Yeah, and I think if you put, um, always putting, you know, St. Teresa and St. John into their context, the time in which they lived, and also really what they were after. I mean, you think of, I mean, the way of perfection, um, the ascent of Mount Carmel, this idea of climbing a mountain, um, of, of leading, uh, of going along a road towards perfection, um, that this absolute sort of, um, understanding of ascetical practices, makes more sense uh, for them and what they were striving after. In many ways, uh, within the life of the church, religious are called um, to be kind of like the athletes um, of, of asceticism, the athletes of prayer, um, the ones who are really making their lives, orienting our, our lives around this. Um, but that's not to say that this is that we're the only ones called to this. This is something that you know all Christians are called to according to their state in life. We've been saying this throughout um, these episodes, but this looks different for everyone, right? This is uh, depending on who you are, um, your state in life. I mean, these are things that that are always guided by prudence. Um, and yeah, I mean, there is. I think there is a tendency um, in recent years. Although I think it's coming, the, the sort of ascetical practices are kind of, people are seeing the, the benefits of them nowadays. But there was a time in the church where these things were really downplayed because, um, yeah, there was a sort of this reactionary, um, uh, yeah, a reaction towards uh, certain ascetical practices of maybe like the early 20th or late 19th century, um, which were, you know, you know, maybe over rigorous or, you know, maybe absolutist for all people. Um, and that's not always that's not helpful for people, but we, you know, we we're looking for, you know, the virtue in in these extremes, right? The mean between the two. We're not um, completely throwing it out, but we're also um, not going crazy with it to the point of the detriment of our being, right? And yeah, that's what's so important about understanding John of the Cross and Teresa of Avila. Is like, what what do they mean? Because again, if you just read what they say about this sort of absolute extreme asceticism, people can be very much led astray mm-hmm. if they don't understand what is it that they're speaking about. Um, and I mean, one of the main things is that Carmelite asceticism, well, really the whole Christian life is ordered towards love. Mm-hmm. And so that should be always, we should always keep that in our mind. The goal of any of our ascetical acts is always to help us to love more, to help us to love God more, to help us to love our neighbors more. Um, and then particularly within the Carmelite context, these acts of asceticism should also be ordered towards contemplation mm-hmm. and towards, towards greater prayer and un- union with God. Right. Um, so these are always the things to keep in the back of our minds um, if there are practices that aren't helping us to love more and aren't helping us to pray more, then, then these aren't the practices that God is calling us to. Right. And there's always that, you know, a, a, you know really huge part of, you know, Carmelite asceticism um, is it's also ordered towards detaching ourselves from the things that are keeping us from uh, prayer, whether it be the time we spend in prayer or um, like we talked about last in the last episode, those aspects of distraction that maybe we do have a little bit more control over. Um, and so that as- those aspects of detachment in that way as well. Yeah, I think it can be helpful to distinguish even between a sort of 
um, interior and exterior mortification. Um, so when we talk about exterior mortification, we're talking about those exterior practices such as fasting or, um, I don't know, some people like to uh, spend time praying on their knees or different acts like that. Um, but the, all of these should be ordered towards a greater interior mortification. That's really what John of the Cross is talking about when he's, he's speaking of detachment. Um, because, yeah, we have to make room for God in our souls. And so, uh, he writes that, you know, even, even one small thread that's tied to a bird will hold the bird. Mm-hmm. And so those are our attachments. And so that these works, um, these exterior works should be ordered to help us to free us uh, interiorly. Um, so that should always be kind of our, the, the goal of these practices. Yeah, and I think another you know, important aspect of how this kind of plays itself out in Carmelite prayer or in the Carmelite tradition um, is the sense in which um, how attached it is to self-knowledge and the growth in self-knowledge. Um, so as we learn more about ourselves in prayer in light of you know, God, um, you know, we're able to maybe, uh, choose things or, uh, or deny ourselves things, um, that maybe aren't a problem for most people, but for us, uh, can be a huge barrier or, you know, a great rope tying us back from, you know, uh, rising, uh, towards God. So now maybe it'd be good to, for us to give some examples, maybe of ascetical practices. What are some, some practices that we found helpful or that we think are beneficial practices for people? And um, how do we go about then, how does one go about implementing these things in their spiritual life? Yeah, and I think it's always good to sort of start with the classics, right? The time, the time-tested methods of, that people have, um, you know, employed throughout this of the church. And I think that it's, uh, I mean, the, the sort of um, the quintessential, I guess, form of asceticism that's always been held as, you know, very necessary in the spiritual life is fasting. Um, fasting from, in terms of moderation in our, in our, what we're eating and drinking as well. Um, so I think that's probably the, the one that people are most familiar with. Um, but fasting is not simply a practice for Lent. It's something that can be employed always. Yeah. It's interesting that this is the one form of asceticism that seems to be kind of required by the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, twice a year, but just the fact that it's, it has this long tested tradition. Um, I think, yeah, it's a sign that this is something that the church sees as beneficial for all people. Um, and so it's something that we should consider in our own lives. I mean, even apart from the two times a year that we're required to fast, fasting really reminds us throughout the day of then it reminds us of, of God is the, is the ultimate goal there, right? I mean, it's sort of this, this practice of denying ourselves, making us aware of this, this hunger that we're having less food, um, and yeah, through that denial, then hopefully growing uh, closer to God. Um, yeah. Because again, we can't see these things as ends in themselves because right. just not eating is of no benefit. <laughs> and if it's not connected to this sort of spiritual practice, um, it's not going to help us to grow unless we, we, yeah, we make a conscious effort to make it uh, something beneficial for us spiritually. Right. But I think there's also... Um you know, the, the spiritual benefit of ordering us towards, you know, seeing um, how dependent we are. But also there's a physical aspect um, of just when we're not lethargic with consumption of food and things like that. Um, it, it just helps us. I think it just helps 
people pray better. It helps people concentrate more. Um, it's, it's, I think, just sort of naturally a good thing to order ourselves towards a life of prayer, as well as the reminders, um, you know, the not ends in themselves, but they're, they're both, from both aspects, the spiritual aspect and the physical aspect, they're both ordered towards the end of, of time in prayer with, in time with God. Right. Yeah. So then I guess in implementing fasting in, in one's life, they must always, they have to keep in mind, we, we have to keep in mind that, um, this end, but also just pay attention to how it's affecting us throughout the day. I mean, if it's, if, if not eating is making us unable to fulfill our duties as, in our work or as a parent or something like that, then this isn't helpful for us and that we sh- this isn't a practice that we should be doing. Um, it should really be, be helping us to, uh, to grow and not preventing us from growing. Right. Yeah. If someone is, you know, has low blood sugar, they have to, you know, figure out the best way in order to implement this if they're not putting themselves in danger. Right. So even for certain people, I mean, the best kind of fasting may just be fasting from certain types of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so you could, it, maybe you really like sweet things. You could fast from sweet things for the day. So you're still getting, you know, food throughout the day, but you're making a conscious effort throughout the day to deny yourself um, for the sake of growing spiritually. Yeah. I know one of the harder ones for me always is because I love Dr. Pepper so much. <laughs> it's <laughs> fasting and abstaining from soda. Yeah. Um, it's, that's something that's, uh, I look forward to every Sunday is having, you know, going down to the corner store to get a Dr. Pepper. Um, and it, yeah, it's, it's kind of silly, but it's something that, uh, I don't need, but it helps me to see, um, you know, that there's areas in my life that I can deny myself. I think that's another important aspect of fasting in terms of the denial of ourselves. When we're strong in, in uh, denying ourselves little things, we become, we kind of exercise those muscles to be able to deny ourselves in the bigger things, the things that um, we tend towards um, our sort of predominant sins. Um, we're better able, we're better equipped, we're, you know, our, our sort of uh, muscles are strong in order to you know, say no to certain temptations. Right. And that's something I think we've maybe lost an understanding of. Um, if you go back and read, I mean, as back as uh, John Cashin's, uh, I think, I forget which work it is of his, but he talks a lot about um, fasting and its connection uh, to chastity um, and sexual sins. And that's the connection between all these vices, I think, is something that we've kind of lost, but that there is this connection between um, overeating and lust or other types of sins. When we overdo it in one area, we're likely to overdo it in other areas as well. Mm-hmm. And so denying ourselves, so say we're really struggling with chastity, uh, fasting is a great way to help in that battle. Right. Yeah, I think it's, an, it's a necessary way to help in that battle. I, I mean, yeah. the, Cashin, I think St. John Cashin makes that connection very explicit, that there are, that there are vices that are sort of connected. Mm-hmm. Um, and St. Thomas Aquinas says, if you grow in one virtue, you're growing in all the virtues as well. So that um, growing in the virtue, fasting helps in the virtue of moderation. By growing in moderation, we're also helping ourselves grow in the virtue of chastity. Yeah. So maybe another kind of uh, uh, ascetical practice that is something that I think is easy for us, we can do every single day, is um, just this idea of um, well, I know uh, Teresa writes that as make a virtue out of necessity. Mm-hmm. Um, and really what that means is just there are so many times in our day where we can't have our way. We can't, we don't have the option of, of uh, doing what we want. And so this is just a way that we can offer, offer those things up, make them spiritual practices. 
Right. Yeah, I think the one that comes most to mind here is um, when struggling with uh, falling asleep at night. Um, a lot of people struggle with this at certain points. Maybe I had a cup of coffee too late in the day. Um, rather than turning to something that's probably going to activate my mind and probably make the problem worse, whether it be getting on a computer, um, reading a newspaper, or reading something that's really sort of uh, rigorous and going to sort of activate a lot of my intellect, um, rather to turn that time into a perfect time to pray the rosary, to pray uh, you know, one of the chaplets, um, some of the more active forms of prayer, um, or even just to turn to mental prayer. Those are opportunities to make virtue out of a necessity, the necessity, not maybe not a necessity, but, you know, not being able to fall asleep. Um, I think too, people struggle with waking up in the middle of the night. Um, I heard a story, one of our friars was telling me that when he was in seminary, he was formerly a diocesan priest. Um, and he, when he came, uh, when he was in the seminary, uh, formation, there was a time when, um, many people were waking up at three o'clock in the morning. Um, and he decided finally that he was going to he was waking up a lot at three o'clock in the morning and he finally decided that he was going to go out of the chapel to kind of make, you know, over to out of this necessity of just somehow I'm just waking up. And he goes down there and there was like half a dozen people there because they were having the same problem. Um, so it's kind of interesting how these things, you know, sort of, you know, happen in, in community life as well. Yeah. And really, I mean, prayer at night, there's a great history for that um, in religious life in particular. And then even in, in Carmelite life, I mean, that's such an important practice. Um, but I think it's a really beautiful practice too, praying in the middle of the night, um, because there's something that's so beautiful about your, your, your in being sort of tired, everything's quiet, but also your mind just tends to be more quiet. Um, I find you, I mean, it's, yeah, it's a very different kind of prayer. And also I, I love the idea of just like connecting to, with, um, I think of like the mothers who always wake up in the middle of the night to k- take care of their babies. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something we will never experience because, uh, I mean, we've made <laughs> vows of chastity. So, um, but this is kind of a way that we can share in that. Um, and it was just a beautiful thing. And I mean, it makes sense too, especially I find to pray to Mary in the middle of the night because mm-hmm. there's something so beautiful about you wake up and, and you call out to your mother. Like that's what you do in the middle of the night <laughs> as a baby. And then your mother, she, she comforts you. She feeds you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this is, uh, and, and yeah, so even I think parents, if they have to wake up in the middle of the night to care for their, their child, that in itself is an act of love, but also they can see this as an opportunity, uh, for prayer as well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so and maybe some more examples then of, of making a virtue out of necessity. I can think of times when, um, I, maybe, um, you, you can't get a meal for some reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and so again, you can make that, offer that as, as a prayer, uh, turn it into a form of fasting if, if for whatever reason you can't have food at that time. I mean, even little things like waiting in a line, things like this. I mean, you can look at this as, oh, I have to wait in this line. Or you can say, here is an opportunity to practice patience and also to spend a little bit of time in prayer. Mm-hmm. And I think that these are good forms of asceticism where we can turn the ordinary frustrating events of our daily lives into, um, yeah, ways to grow. I think it's also good here to talk a little bit about um, sort of offering these aspects for different needs and people. Mm-hmm. Um, for Lent this year, for example, um, our community has been offering you know more uh, ascetical practices for the situation going on in the church globally, um, for the sanctification of, of priests uh, and seminarians. 
um, and for you know just sort of the faithfulness of the of the church um, hierarchy in general. Um, these are all opportunities. Uh, these aspects, these these acts of um, denying ourselves things are, I guess, powerful in the economy of salvation and the economy of of prayer that's going on throughout the world. So yeah, maybe like one more type of asceticism we could talk about then or something that's actually in, interestingly is in our constitutions is t- it speaks of finding new forms of asceticism. Um, just because we've talked about some of the tried and true methods uh, throughout the history, but also um, as times change uh, throughout history, there are, are new opportunities for us to practice asceticism. Um, yeah, depending on where we where we live and even you know what our our role is in life. Yeah, and um, I think we've talked about this again uh, in previous episodes, but um, you know the modern condition of uh, having uh, constantly being surrounded by noise um, and. Uh, constantly being surrounded by screens, um, fasting from screens, I think is is something that uh, can be a very sort of, I guess, modern ascetical practice. Right. Yeah. So turning off the cell phone, turning off the computer, or even if you're in the car, turning off the radio. Um, yeah, I think this is a great form of asceticism today because I think that so many people are are really addicted to those things, mm-hmm. to always being up to date with the constant news. Um, yeah, just always, always having this distraction and noise. So really, I, yeah, I think these are, this is one of the best forms of asceticism, whether that be uh, for a certain period throughout the day or after a certain time, say, I'm going to cut these things off. Um, yeah, these are, I think these are helpful. Yeah, I think especially when um, things like this become part of our daily routine, um, they, it becomes, it seems like they're, it's harder to sort of break away from them or they, yeah, they just become routinized, I guess, within our life. And I think that's an opportunity for us to, to take a look and, okay, maybe I don't need to watch Wheel of Fortune tonight. Yeah. <laughs> that's kind of a silly example. But this idea of, um, I do this every night, so I have to do it tonight sort of thing. Those are opportunities, I think, for us to take a look at um, whether they really are helping us, um, whether we can you know, take a break from that for a time or even just you know, a once-off sort of thing. Yeah, and another form of... of- a new form of asceticism that I know we've talked about in our community before is um, exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, yeah, throughout throughout history, maybe going out to exercise didn't they didn't need to do that as much because of just their diets, but also the fact that they tended to be more active than we are today. Now that we live more sedentary lifestyles, we need exercise more often, mm-hmm. um, and that can be something that a lot of people find very challenging to do. Um, but it can be helpful to view that as an ascetical act. I and mean, that kind of goes back to what you were saying at the very beginning about what the, the, the meaning, the root of that word even is denying, um, yeah, denying ourselves uh, for physical growth, but then also how we can attach that to something spiritual. Yeah, and a lot of people get kind of uh, maybe cautioned when we talk about exercise, but there's different, as- you know, different types of exercise that are oriented towards our, our age and our, and our physical condition. I think of my, my great grandmother died when she was 103 and she was always doing curls with bags of beans every day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that for her was, I think, was a testament to her longevity that she was so devoted to having a little bit of exercise every day. Yeah. There's a lot of great Catholic ap- apostolates out there right now who are really, um, focused on this idea of, of exercise as a, as a, practice that's really necessary and beneficial yeah. for a growth in human virtue. And again, the atta- you can attach that to 
um, kind of this tendency in our modern culture to, um, yeah, uh, the virtue of chastity being such a challenge for so many people with so many things out there, um, constantly bombarding people um, towards uh, temptation. Um, the great benefit that both fasting and exercise play in that right. in that dynamic, right? Yeah. No, actually, that that actually brings up a good point that we didn't mention earlier. It's kind of the linchpin of this whole discussion is this, this connection between our body and souls, how they're so intimately united that we 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 can't separate them um, in in practice. And so these exterior bodily practices aren't just bodily practices. They are by their very nature, they our spirits are connected, mm-hmm. our souls are connected. And so when we do these bodily practices, we're actually not just improving. Um, or doing practices for our body, but for our, our entire being. Yeah. Maybe now we can just kind of close with sort of, uh, yeah, some of the dangers maybe that are involved with with any um, practice of ascetic, ascetic, the ascetical life. Um, I think the main ones being that uh, there's a tendency for certain people to overdo it, and then there's a, cert- a tendency for other people to underdo it. Um, and that's something that, I mean, we, yeah, we will stress at the beginning that this is, it's we we think that we see in their our tradition tells us that that living an ascetical life is a necessary part of living a Christian life. Um, so there's a danger in, in not, um, yeah, in not seeing this as a, 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 an important part of that life. Yeah, and I think too, there's uh, people might say, well, you know, I'm just going to end up. This isn't going to. This is going to be too hard, and I'm just going to end up failing. Um, so I'm going to kind of set the bar a little bit lower, but. Um, another important aspect is that sometimes it's good to fail um, because this isn't about us, right? This isn't about like being, you know, perfect, excellent at, um, you know, penitential acts, activities or ascetical practices. It's about, it's not an end in itself. It's about orienting ourselves uh, towards growth um, and self-denial and detachment. Um, so sometimes it's good for us to to fall from that and to, and to fail in, in those aspects because, yeah, they, they again, they show us how, dependent we are on God and how, uh, you know, on our own, um, we can do very little. Right. Yeah. And then at the same time, there's, um, a problem with choosing things, uh, ascetical practices that are maybe too hard in the sense of overdoing it, where they could really cause us physical harm to our health. Um, again, preventing the goal here, which is to love more, to love God more, to love our neighbor more. Um, but also there's a, a, a temptation of, if you cho- choose too rigorous uh, of, of a sort of plan, then you can fail and then begin to despair. You can really lose courage. Um, so yeah, there's there's a, a good balance that has to happen here. If ever we find that either the practices are making us feel really good about ourselves or really bad about ourselves, and that's, that's a sign that we're not doing the right things. Sure. And I think that lends itself too to talk about a little bit um about the danger of pride and all of this, um, when it becomes, these things kind of become insulated on ourselves or sort of, uh, if when I think about exercise, if we're, if we're exercising for mortification, um, if all of a sudden we're, um, I guess quantitatively measuring that in a way that's, um, yeah, building our ego, um, in the sense that we're, uh, yeah, we're taking our eyes off of uh, off of Jesus and kind of turning them into ourselves, right? Or looking down on others who aren't doing these practices, thinking ourselves better than others because we fast or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
yeah, again, this is so contrary to, to the gospel um, and to the goal of all of this. And so that's one reason why I think we talked about before that there's there's kind of a shying away from these practices. And I think it's a reaction, like you said, to uh, some of this that was leading towards a sort of spiritual pride of an, an egoism of, of thinking highly of yourself because you do these practices. We, I mean, we see this kind of with the Pharisees of following the law well uh, mm-hmm. in the gospel. Um, and that's one reason why we, yeah, we always have to keep our goal in mind, but also see that... Um, really our interior mortifications, that should be more the the focus and the goal of all of these. And these exterior practices should aid us in that interior detachment and growth. I think this is a good sort of, um, a good sort of aspect of the spiritual life to talk um, with either a spiritual director or with other people who are kind of engaged in this sort of in ascetical practices. Um, because I think there's a temptation or maybe just sort of a temptation of, um, sort of circumstances that we're comparing ourselves to people at work who may not be even practicing their faith. Um, and they might be kind of weirded out by certain ascetical practices that we're undertaking. Um, but if we're having, if we have, you know, a spiritual friend, um, or if we're, if as a group of people, uh, at church, we're doing, um, something together, I think it's helpful to kind of, um, kind of keep that aspect of orienting these practices um, towards growing in virtue, growing in the life of prayer, growing in the Christian life. Um, I think that can be a very uh, good help. Right. Yeah. And that's what uh, Teresa of Avila and John of the Cross, they both write about uh, multiple times is about the connection between penance and obedience. Mm-hmm. Um, so one thing that uh, Teresa of Avila writes is that um, she felt this uh, temptation to 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 copy the ascetical practices of this one woman who did all sorts of fasting and, and um, yeah, a lot of really rigorous practices. And our Lord appeared to Teresa and, and told her that um, her obedience means more to him than any other practices, um, any of her, any of the other woman's ascetical practices. Um, and then similarly, John of the Cross, he speaks about uh, ascetical practices that aren't linked to obedience and he calls it uh the penance of beasts and so yeah like you like you mentioned it's important that these things um yeah it it, it is important that these things are are spoken about with our spiritual director or confessor in order to make sure kind of keep us uh from going to the extremes yeah and for those people who don't have sort of the luxury i know it can be definitely a luxury these days especially of a spiritual director of whom, you know, we can uh, order these things alongside and they can guide us in that aspect of obedience. Um, there's always great resources at parishes as well as online um, communities that are oriented towards this aspect of the spiritual life and spiritual growth. Um, and those can be found on the internet or I know a lot of parishes are doing, have small groups that are kind of oriented in this way as well. So uh, before we go, um, and before we kind of close out with our last reading, I just, uh, you know, this is our second to last episode for this season. Um, next week, we're kind of doing a viewer's choice or listener's choice. Um, so we'll have, I think, maybe a poll in the comment or in the description of this episode um, of a few options. Uh, so please uh, check that out. Go to the description, click on the link, um, and vote for uh, what you would like to see us do for our final episode of the season. Um, we're going to kind of close out uh, this season of Carmel Cast uh, with uh, the Holy Week, sixth week of Lent. Um, and then we are hoping to be back in the fall. 
And then to close our, our reading, as always, uh, this week comes from The Way of Perfection, uh, St. Teresa of Avila. This is from uh, chapter 4. St. Teresa writes, We must pray without ceasing, if we do this with all care possible, for unceasing prayer is the most important aspect of the rule. The fasts, the disciplines, and the silence will not be wanting. For you already know that if prayer is to be genuine, it must be helped by these other things. Prayer and comfortable living are incompatible. Hey everyone, Brother Pier Giorgio here. Thanks for checking out this episode of CarmelCast. If you want to hear more of us, don't forget to click subscribe. Want more information on Carmelite spirituality and the Discalced Carmelite Saints? Then you'll want to check out our website, www.icspublications.org. There's a link in the description of this episode. From here, you can see all our current promotions and access our complete catalog for the writings of St. John of the Cross, St. Teresa of Avila, St. Therese of Lisieux, St. Elizabeth of the Trinity, and St. Edith Stein. If you want to stay up to date on all our promotions and new titles, then be sure to add your email to our email list. There's no better way to stay up to date on the latest Carmelite publications. Thanks for joining us, and may God bless you.